You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 154, Emulation PC. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flat. Today is November 29th. 2014, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about my new emulation computer. As many of you know, I pre-record the show on my trusty Commodore 64, and it takes a minute or two to load the show back over to my PC, so I'm going to get that started loading. And while that is loading over, we have a bit of time to chat about Oh, news and other things going on in my life. And so this is a portion of the podcast known as Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Welcome back to You Don't Know Flack. Uh, I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. I um, am fortunate to have enough vacation time to use at the end of the year that I took off the day before Thanksgiving and the day after Thanksgiving. So I'm in the middle of five days off of work and it is wonderful. (laughs) So if we're making a list of things we're thankful for, that is one of them. Um, I, uh, on Facebook, um, I, I had a uh, a friend of mine, a uh, I call him a kid because he's a couple of years younger than me, which now he means means he's in his uh, late thirties or almost forty, so he's not a kid, but uh, a kid who grew up on my street. And um, eight years ago, uh, on uh, Thanksgiving, his uh, father took his own life, and it was very uh, very traumatic and surprising. For all of us in the neighborhood, his dad had been a uh, a fireman. His dad was um, one of those guys that was just strong. You know what I mean? Like, like just physically, just a strong dude. And and he was, uh, you know, just just um, I don't know, just strong is the only word that you know, like hard, harsh, maybe. Um, and so uh, around that time. Uh, it really bothered me uh, that um, – well, it bothers me any time that there's holidays and I know that friends of mine don't have a place to go or anything. And so uh, in 2010 on Facebook, I did something that uh, scared my wife to death. I posted on Facebook and said – actually, I posted – it was a blog post that, of course, uh, replicated out to Facebook and to Twitter – uh, and so, and all the people that subscribed to my blog. So this post went to about 2000 people and it said, you're invited to my house for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and, um, my wife said she would be okay with it if I set up some parameters. So I set up like a two hour window and I said, bring a dessert. 
That's all I said. Like from, you know, it was like 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Come by my house. Um, I didn't post my address because I didn't want just random people. So it was assuming that you knew where I lived. Um, and I only had one person show up, which, um, I was, I was going to say, I think that made my wife happy, but that didn't make my wife happy. I mean, obviously, um, it makes me happy that people had other places to go. Um, but so anyway, uh, this friend of mine this year on Facebook, he, he shared the story of his father and stuff. And it just kind of reminded me about that and about that time and those feelings of, you know, knowing people that don't have anywhere to go on the holidays. They don't have any family to be with. Either their family has moved away or, or um, passed away or, you know, whatever. Or maybe they just live by themselves. And so uh, I did the same thing this year on Facebook, and I just kind of threw out a loose it, it wasn't quite as official as, as I did before, but, um, and, uh, <clears throat> I had a few people send me messages that said, thanks for the offer and they appreciated it. Uh, but ultimately nobody, uh, came over, you know, but, um, but to me, that means that everybody had something better to do, which is great. Uh, that's what I want is I want uh, the people in my world to, to be able to go to their families or go with their friends or have somewhere to be. So it's really an offer that, uh, you know, I, I, in my, in my head, if somebody extended that offer to me, I'd probably have to be pretty lonely or bored or something to, to go to someone else's house for Thanksgiving. But, um, but I always throw the offer out there, you know, and it always makes me feel a little better. So, um, but we have a, or had and have, uh, traditional Thanksgivings. We have family over, we cook Turkey. Um, we watch football Everybody falls asleep one by one, and then people leave. So, and that was uh, no exception this year. That's exactly what happened. We had um, my uh, parents and, and my mom's husband came over, and my wife's family. I think uh, about ten people came over. So we set up extra tables. We pulled the the plastic table out of the garage and the card table for the kids, and set up all the tables. and And we just had a good Thanksgiving. So, I hope uh, you did the same. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving and you got to spend it with uh, your family and friends. Uh, let's see. What else is going on? Oh, <clears throat> I have uh, written a new book uh, with my wife. It is not a book that I think that a lot of people uh, that bought my other books will be interested in. The new book is called Gastric Steps. Uh, and basically... Uh, it tells the story of my wife and I who both had uh, lap band surgery. We both had gastric surgery um, in 2007. So it kind of tells the story like what led up to that point and, um, you know, what going through that surgery was like and and how our lives uh, have changed since then. And, and um, there's a lot of reasons I wrote it. One reason is because I, I don't think um, – a lot of people, I think most people that you hear about or that write about those type of surgeries, you hear about the success stories. And I don't think uh, that you get a lot of honest feedback. I don't think you get to read about the downs as much as the ups. And so so I came up with this uh, concept for gastric steps that it would be, the book is subtitled He Said, She Said. And so I came up with a list of topics, things like, Oh, you know, working in fast food that my wife both and I did, um, and we both feel like contributed to uh, weight problems that we had earlier in our lives, and 
and uh, considering, you know, alternatives to surgery and things like that. And then what we did was uh, I gave her those list of topics and we each wrote chapters on those topics. So there's about 10 different topics. So she wrote 10 chapters and I wrote 10 chapters and then we've put it all together as a book. So it's kind of a, he said, she said, you know, you get to see things from uh, each of our points of view. Now I will tell you this, I have learned two things. I've been on both sides of the fence. I've learned two things about uh, weight loss and health uh, and fitness and things like that. And the first thing I've learned is that when people are losing weight or getting into fitness or trying to get healthy, there's nothing they want to do more than talk about it. And I'm sure you all have had that friend that all of a sudden they've got a new diet or they've started exercising and that's all they want to do is talk about it. So uh, it's kind of funny because when you're that person, you want to talk about it. And when you're not that person, you don't want to hear about it. And that's the other truth that I've learned is that nobody else wants to hear about anybody's uh, fitness and, and health and weight loss things unless they're trying to do it themselves, you know. So I am not going to turn uh, you don't know flack into a pulpit for uh, weight loss and health and things like that. But I have started um, a new website. It's called gastricsteps.com. Uh, this, it's the same name as the book. And I kind of did that because uh, it's a blog. It's a WordPress blog. But the book goes from, you know, when I was born until the day the book is over. And that's like a finite period of time. But the blog is kind of like, you know, it continues where the book ends and it's day to day of, of, um, you know, ways that we're continuing to exercise and lose weight. I lost about 20 pounds last month, um, just from walking and, and eating better and just really trying to get, um, uh, turn things around and get healthy, you know? So anyway, like I said, I'm not going to, uh, bore you guys with all that. If you want to find out what's going on, uh, you could go to gastricsteps.com. There's links. I also uh, have set up Gastric Steps on Twitter, and there's also facebook.com forward slash gastric steps. So if you want to go uh, friend that page on, on uh, Facebook or follow me on Twitter, you can get um, blog updates and stuff like that. So uh, anyway, that's uh, all I'm going to talk about gastric steps for now. Uh, I've also got several requests recently to uh, release Commodore and Invading Spaces, my previous two books, as audiobooks. And so I've really been uh, researching that, looking into things. And so that is definitely a plan that's going to happen sooner than later. Um, I've looked at uh, the ways to release those on uh, audible.com and through iTunes and Amazon. And uh, it's really highway robbery. <laughs> um, you know, if you... If you release an audiobook, if you do every part of the audiobook, if you record it, you edit it, you upload it, you do everything and you upload it and it goes through um, ACX is the company that, that um, handles the audiobooks for Audible. So you, you're forced to go through this company and they take 60% of all your sales. So if you sell this audiobook for $10, they take six bucks. So, and it's really not about the money, especially, um, uh, for me a long time ago, I know that I'm not going to get rich writing books about, uh, the Commodore computer and retro things and arcade games and stuff like that. And really it's just to get the, the stories out there and, and the information out there, you know? Um, so, I mean, I do 
think that I would charge money just to cover expenses and hopefully, you know, put that money back into my hosting costs and, and, uh, I'm always looking at upgrading equipment and things like that, you know, but, um, and also with Commodore, um, I, when I first released Commodore, uh, electronically on PDF, I, thought that people wouldn't buy it because it it had less value than the physical copy that was my perception and so i told people that i was going to write another book called commodorkier and so that people that bought commodork uh electronically would get a copy of commodorkier and uh so i think i'm going to roll that in with the audio version of Commodore. So, you know, there's, I don't know how many, 14, 15 chapters in Commodore. And so what I really want to do is um, release like half chapters as well. So and like at the end of the first chapter, there would be a half chapter that would go in between that and the second one that tells, um, you know, looking back, I mean, gosh, it's been next. Uh, I mean, it, Commodore was released in 2006. It's almost 2015. So I can't believe that it's been almost nine years So that's um, one of the things I want to do is just, uh, you know, kind of reflect back on how things have changed and, um, you know, stuff like that. So I think Commodore and Invading Spaces will both become audiobooks. So will Gastric Steps, for that matter. But Commodore-ier, I think, will be um, probably a free supplemental thing, you know, something for people that buy the the audiobook or – because, I mean, you have to have either read the book or, or heard the book for it to make any sense, but I definitely think, um, I'll just throw Commodore here up somewhere for people to download when that's all done. So all things I'm working on. Uh, the other thing I feel like I I have to talk about, and I'm going to keep it really short because I just did a podcast over it last night is this new star Wars episode seven trailer. And people, if you know me from my website, or I just did an episode all about star Wars, uh, I am a Star Wars fan. I'm sitting in a room right now with shelves on all four walls. The walls are floor to ceiling all the way around me with Star Wars toys and collectibles. Uh, Some of them are action figures that I got uh, in the Christmas of 1978. And some of them are the six inch black Star Wars figures that I got um, last week. So I've been buying Star Wars toys since 1978 or getting Star Wars toys, acquiring, I should say. And, uh, you know, the prequels, I think everybody agrees the prequels. I don't think anybody has ever said the prequels that they enjoy those more than, than the original trilogy, you know, and, uh, was with JJ Abrams behind Star Wars episode seven, the force awakens. Uh, Everybody's a little hesitant. So the trailer came out the day after Thanksgiving and man, oh man, uh, boy, did that bring back the feelings of a new Star Wars movie. I mean, you see stormtroopers, but they're updated stormtroopers. You see a new type of uh, astromech droid uh, that we've never seen before. We see new versions of X-Wing fighters. And at the end, we see the Millennium Falcon and TIE fighters. And then we get to see a glimpse of whoever the new bad guy is with a new type of lightsaber. Bad guys in Star Wars always apparently have new types of lightsabers. I don't know why the old original model of lightsaber is not good enough for bad guys. But, um, uh, so my buddies, uh, Sean and the Zerbinator, who you may know from, uh, throwback reviews, the other podcast or another podcast that I do, we got together last night and, uh, 
basically fleshed out our thoughts about the trailer and and uh, seeing Star Wars like the original uh, Star Wars movies and stuff. I talk about uh, seeing the original trilogy in theaters and the prequels in theaters and. Uh, we go through the the trailer and talk all about that. So um, if you're excited about the Star Wars trailer, you'll have to go over to throwbackreviews.com. Uh, or I'm sure you could catch it at uh, throwbacknetwork.net, either place. But uh, we're going to be releasing that very soon, a special episode dedicated to that Star Wars trailer. Oh, and uh, by the sounds of that... The episode has completely loaded from the Commodore 64. I transferred it over a special cable this time that connects um, from the... I didn't... I don't know. I didn't make anything up. Obviously, this can't possibly happen. So just whatever cable you'd like to imagine. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, if you have any feedback about this episode or any other episode of the show in general... You can always email your feedback to Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. You can leave a message for me on the You Don't Know Flack voice mailbox, which is 405-486-YDKF. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash You Don't Know Flack. Uh, on Twitter, it is Commodork. So I always appreciate your feedback on the shows. And with that being said, let's get started talking about emulation. I was on the ground level of emulation when emulation or emulators, I should say, began being released for the IBM PC. Now, emulators, um, I can't imagine anybody doesn't know what an emulator is, but basically an emulator is a program. It is software that emulates or pretends to be hardware. So let's just take a specific system like the uh, Nintendo, the original NES Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, There are emulators that emulate that hardware. And so you run this program on your computer, and this program uh, essentially tricks your computer into thinking – I mean, it acts exactly like or as close as possible to the original hardware. Uh, And so you need two pieces for emulation. You need the emulator. And you need ROMs. Now, ROMs are uh, exact or as as close as possible memory dumps uh, of cartridges. So let's, again, take, for example, uh, the original Super Mario Brothers. So using uh, some sort of mechanism, I have seen my... the way that I'm most familiar is through console copiers, but there are you can actually pull the chips out if you wanted and, and do dumps that way. I have there's a previous episode of You Don't Know Flack where I talk all about console copiers. So if you're not familiar with those and you're interested in emulation, that would be a great episode to check out. But what a console copier does is typically they piggyback on top of a console. So like I have a uh, Super Wildcard is a console copier for the Super Nintendo, and it plugs into the cartridge port on top of a Super Nintendo, and there is a floppy disk drive on the side. And then there's another cartridge port on top of that. So it's kind of like a pass-through. So let's say um, Donkey Kong Country. That's a, a Super Nintendo game. You would place Donkey Kong Country into the top of the console copier. And then you could use the console copier to save the ROM, the contents of that cartridge, out onto a floppy disk. And when you were done with that, uh, you would have Donkey Kong Country dot um, – actually, it would be dot 
SWC, which is for Super Wild Card. So if you've done uh, a lot with emulation, you may recognize uh, or you may have wondered what some of those file extensions uh, stood for. And a lot of them stood, you know, were uh, uh, reflected the way that the cartridges were dumped. There was uh, all different kinds of copiers, most of them, all the ones that I have. I have a uh, actually a decent size. I probably have a dozen console copiers at this point for different systems. I have some for the Sega Genesis, um, Super Nintendo, uh, several for the Nintendo 64, uh, so on, you know, so that was, that was the way that, um, a lot of these ROMs got dumped off of cartridge form into software form. So the emulator, uh, plays the exact code. The, the code that's on the game itself is not changed. Uh, the, all the work is being done by the emulator and there are emulators for anything that a PC can handle. Uh, everything from, uh, TI, calculators and old TRS-80 computers and, and obviously Apple and, and Commodore computers and 8-bit stuff all the way up to there are uh, PlayStation, PlayStation 2 emulators, Dreamcast, um, you know, all those types of things like that. So uh, obviously because emulation, uh, you know, you're kind of doing double duty. You're, you're emulating the hardware plus you're running the software. So it always takes a uh, significantly more powerful computer to emulate a gaming system. Like if you're, you know, on a Commodore 64, it would have been very difficult to emulate an Apple II because processor wise, one is not significantly more powerful uh, than the other. So there's not enough overhead for you to be able to, to, um, you know, do that, uh, that double duty. So anyway, uh, when emulation first came out, uh, it was the, uh, early to mid nineties. I want to say 93, 94, and uh, there was an early version of MAME that really, I think all it emulated was Pac-Man. And it was almost like a parlor trick, you know? You would run these things and you were like, hey, look, I got my my thing to emulate Pac-Man. And, you know, when you're emulating arcade games, you're running the actual code that appeared on the arcade version. So uh, the first time people see MAME, they're like, how do I start this? Well, you have to actually press a key to tell it that you've put a quarter into the machine. You have to trigger, um, you know, the coin up and then you have to press, you know, there's another button uh, to, to start like player one start. And you have to do those things because the code has no idea that it's running on your PC somewhere. It thinks it's, you know, I mean, the way it was coded, it thinks it's running on an arcade thing. It's waiting for those, uh, you know, little triggers to go off the little ones and zeros to tell it that you put your, your token or your 25 cents in. So, so in the early days of emulation, I remember, uh, getting on windows 95, I believe it was I NES and, um, it ran super Mario brothers and a few other things. And it was like a trick. It ran, it couldn't run at full screen. It ran it in a little tiny window. I, I don't even remember. I, I think I had a, one of those, remember the Gravis, uh, gamepad. It was a, this is back, of course, before even, <laughs> this is before USB. So you had a serial, uh, gamepad. And, uh, I had a Gravis. I don't even think it supported that. I think you had to only use the keyboard and run around. And, and there might not have even been sound. I mean, it was really not the experience that, that most people know of, of emulation today. It definitely was not, uh, uh, you know, accurate. Uh, and and that's uh, been one of the arguments about emulation all along. Um, but things got better. PCs got faster. 
Um, you know, I mean, this was back on, you know, when people had 486s, 386s, um, trying to, uh, run, you know, a Nintendo, so you're running an entire computer system or whatever, uh, or an entire video game console on top of Windows, running on top of your machine and then running a game on top of that. And there just wasn't enough processing power, but computers got faster and emulation got better. Now there's always been an argument and I'm not going to settle this argument today over whether or not uh, emulation is, um, I don't even know what the argument is. People say uh, that emulation is not as good as the real thing. And they're right um, from a certain point of view, as Obi-Wan would say. <laughs> um, they're right. Uh, you, If you throw up a Nintendo emulator, I mean, Nintendo is, is so archaic. I mean, it's so old school that it's really not difficult to, at this point, to, you know, really accurately emulate the Nintendo. But if you take something like the Commodore 64, and it's not, it's just because I'm more familiar with that. There are intricacies in the Commodore 64, like in the, the sound and the SID chip, that emulators don't always necessarily emulate 100% accurately. Now, they may emulate it 99% accurately. It may be all, like, so close, uh, and especially... If you were a kid, you grew up with a Commodore or an Apple II, something like that, and then you haven't had experience, you know, exposure, let's say, to those systems over the past 20 years, and you fire up an emulator and you load up Choplifter, you're like, oh my God, this is Choplifter, this is Load Runner, this is Karateka, these are my favorite games from when I was a kid. You're not going to notice that this little beep or boop or this sound or whatever is not 100% accurate because it's only 99% accurate. Uh, but if you have, if it's sitting next to the real thing, maybe you are able to do it, or maybe you know your your hearing is very very sensitive, and you notice that there's these these slight differences between you know the emulation or whatever. Emulation gives us flexibility. It gives us things that we cannot do on the real hardware. For example. You can go online, like on uh, GameBase 64. Now, GameBase doesn't actually provide this per se, but there's a collection of Commodore software, and it's known as the GameBase, the GB64 collection. And you download this, and in this collection is essentially every known Commodore 64 piece of software ever. I mean, basically anything. Um, and, you know, and even another example would be, uh, the Atari 2600 and the Atari 2600, the ROM collection has grown over years because what people thought was, you know, every Atari game that, that changed, that parameter changed as new games were released. Or if you say I have every Atari game, well, what does that mean? You have every Atari game that was officially released. You have every Atari game that was released in North America. Or you have every Atari game, and, and that includes every hack or beta copies. You know, so so it means different things to different people. Um, do you have Air Raid, which is the cartridge that sold for I don't forgot what it was ten thousand dollars or whatever? Probably not in your collection. So saying that you have every Atari cartridge is probably there's I don't think there's anybody that probably has every Atari cartridge. 
But you can go click a button on a website right now, and I think it's like 7 meg, and you can download every Atari game. And then you fire it up in your emulator, and you can play every Atari 2600 game. I used to – my response to people, people used to always tell me that Commodore 64 emulation is not as good as the real thing. Now, first of all, I always laugh at this because I have a Commodore 64 set up right next to me here. (laughs) Uh, And I have um, a 1541 Ultimate. I have different things, but I have, you know, physical disk drives hooked to it, too. I have a uh, a stack uh, drawers here full of uh, original Commodore 64. What I mean by original is is from the 80s, not necessarily store-bought copies. But I have hundreds and hundreds. I have over a 1,000 floppies sitting right here for the Commodore. So uh, I know the difference. I know what the difference is between emulation and the real thing. Um, But my retort to people was always, have you ever tried taking a Commodore 64 with you on an airplane and playing Commodore games that (laughs) the, the um, visual, you know, image of that is ridiculous. Can you imagine uh, having a power strip and having a full size monitor and a disc drive and a Commodore trying to put all that on a, your tray table while you're sitting in the upright position so that you can play Paradroid or something, it would never happen, you know? Uh, so when I, I, there was a time where I was traveling a lot for work and I would take my laptop with me and I would have every Atari 2600 game and I would have every Commodore game and every Apple II disc image and all these things. So those are the things that emulation, it gives you a certain amount of flexibility that you don't get from, uh, the real thing. Emulators support what is known as save states, which is essentially uh, if you're playing a game or using a computer system or whatever, you press a button uh, and it takes everything that's in memory right then and saves it to a file. And you can revert back to that. Uh, people have used these for making videos for speed runs. People have used them. If you're trying to get the world's high score in Donkey Kong, obviously, uh, if you're videotaping this like you're supposed to do uh, for an official release, then it wouldn't work. But let's say you're wanting to, to get the highest score possible to all your friends. So you play the first level of Donkey Kong, and at the end of level one, you save the state of that game. Then you go to level two, you lose all your lives. Well, you just go back, reload that save state, and now you're at the end of level one again. And you go, and then you beat level two, and then you save the state again. And let's say you get halfway through level three and you die. Well, let's just revert back to the last save state, you know? So those are things that you can do through emulation, like screenshots and, and um, you know, just different things that you can't do. So, But I'm not saying emulation is better either. It may not be 100% accurate, you know? There, there's just... Uh, there are things that I like about both of them. That's why I do both of them. Uh, I love having the real thing. I love messing around with emulation. I don't have a problem with playing games on MAME. I love MAME. Uh, it allows you to play arcade games that you might never see, uh, in your life. Uh, but I also owned, 30 arcade games at one point. I had them all in my backyard. And, and so people are like, why, you know, and it's just different. There, there are arcade machines. I mean, playing uh, Rampart or playing, you know, um, games uh, Tron that have special controls or pole position. They're never going to feel right to me in MAME. You know, the controls are just not quite right. There are games when you step inside an environmental discs of Tron cabinet, it's not the same as playing MAME on your computer. So, uh, but again, I never 
took an arcade game with me on vacation. <laughs> I never strapped, you know, my Miss Pac-Man machine to the roof of the car whenever we went on a road trip so that I could play Miss Pac-Man when I got there. So anyway, so emulation runs on computers for a long time, it ran on computers. Now there's a problem with that if you want to play these games in your living room. The problem is that most people don't have a PC in their living room. Uh, I do, but, but a lot of people don't. And um, so there were, uh, you know, emulators were on the PCs, uh, but then they grew, you know. So they all of a sudden, we started getting emulators like on the iPad or, you know, uh, Android tablets have uh, emulators and getting it on your phone and all this. But uh, so we, we kind of had, we even had... Uh, handheld machines. I had a, um, oh, what was that thing called? The GP32, which was a handheld thing. People had the PSP, uh, the PlayStation Portable that you could hack and get emulators on. So people had emulators on the go. People had different things, but it was still not uh, in the living room. You know, it wasn't like the old video game consoles, like, you know, in the old days when you had an Atari or, uh, you know, or an NES, you had it hooked up in your living room and you would go sit in front of the TV and play games. Uh, but unless you drug a computer into your living room, it was hard to play emulators in the living room, you know? So I'm going to go off on a, a side conversation here for just a moment. One of the things, uh, so whenever we got MAME, uh, and MAME grew. If you're not, you know, MAME is a multi arcade uh, machine emulator, and MAME allows you to play arcade games. So let's say uh, you're a huge fan of Galaga, and so when you were a kid, if you wanted to play Galaga, you know you have to get your mom to take you down to the arcade, and you'd have to have some quarters, and then you go play Galaga, and and uh, maybe you have to wait in line to play Galaga, and maybe you suck at Galaga, and so you spend a lot of money trying to, to get better at Galaga, you know? Uh, and then we get MAME at home. And, of course, we had Galaga on the Atari 2600, uh, and we had, a, a you know, like clones of Galaga on home computers. And then eventually we get Galaga. We get, like, those Namco collection releases on the PlayStation, things like that. But, um, but you know, if you wanted the arcade experience – to play Galaga, you had to play it on an arcade game. Well, then all of a sudden we get MAME, and MAME allows you to play the actual Galaga ROM on your computer. So um, eventually people came up with the idea, well, what if I made an arcade cabinet and I put a computer inside it and you know I wired up all the controls and so it felt like I was playing an arcade game, except for really I was playing MAME. Uh, and, um, that's where the idea of, of MAME cabinets came along, you know? So it's almost what I'm talking about in this episode, which is sitting in front of your television and playing Galaga, the arcade version of Galaga, instead of playing it on a MAME cabinet is not what most people wanted to do. Most people wanted that arcade experience. I'm going to build an arcade machine that looks like an arcade machine, but has a PC inside running MAME so that I can play Galaga, you know, at my house or whatever. But what I 
got the idea, and I didn't invent this idea, but I just started thinking, you know, maybe, I mean, that that's cool. And I, I actually have an arcade game in my kitchen, so I'm not, I'm not um, uh, you know, knocking the idea of having an arcade game in your house. I think it's a great thing. Uh, I would have more, but unfortunately, I have a wife and children. Uh, actually, the children are for it, but it's a three-to-one vote, and somehow the one uh, will not let me turn the din into an arcade. Um, but, uh, you know, I started thinking like, wouldn't it be convenient if I could sit in the living room and play these arcade games and just play it on the television? Like we used to do, you know, with the old gaming consoles and the problem, one of the big problems, one of the big hurdles, uh, that's existed in this is it's always been a pain in the ass to get computer video on a television. Now there's been ways to do it. I, I had an old video card. The first way that I did it, I had an old video card that had S video out and I had a television that had S video in. And so you could run this, you know, I bought a, an extra long S video cable and I hooked it up, you know, and it looked okay. Uh, it didn't look good as far as uh, text. Like if you were trying to surf the web or something, but if you were playing arcade games or something like that, the, the video quality was good enough for doing that. But, uh, you know, it seems like things are always changing. You know, the next TV I bought didn't have S video in, and then the next computer I bought didn't have S video out, you know, and then you have a VGA out, but that TV didn't have VGA in. But eventually I got a TV with VGA in and I had a computer with VGA out. And then you get into all these weird things um, with different resolutions. You know, you set up your computer and video cards got better. We were all SVGA. Remember that? We were all 800 by 600. And then we were all 1024 by 768. And then we were 1280. And then we were – and it went up and up and up, you know. Uh, and the TVs kind of would handle that. But then every computer in the world went – widescreen and your TV wasn't widescreen. So then you had two different resolutions, but now TVs are widescreen. So it's just been this ongoing pain in the ass. And so where we're at now, if you're wanting to get video is fortunately a lot of computers now have uh, HDMI out and all new TVs have HDMI in. So we're back at a, a time right now where you have the right kind of video going out and the right kind of video coming in and TVs are letterbox shaped and monitors are letterbox. Of course, old video games are all not letterbox, but you know, it, it's all right. <laughs> we could work with that. Uh, so anyway, so there was time, a long time where I was trying to struggle uh, with how am I going to do this? How am I going to get a computer in the living room and not have it look like I have a computer in my living room? Uh, and then the original Xbox came out. The original Xbox came out in, um, two, oh gosh, 2000? No, 2001, I think. By the way, I have no show notes for this entire episode. So this is, um, uh, if I get any dates wrong, feel free to send them in. Cause that's, that's what, uh, <laughs> my own feedback about this show is when I get stuff wrong. That's not true. That's not true. But, uh, that's when I get the most feedback. But anyway, I think it was 2001. Uh, so the original Xbox came out and all of a sudden people, you know, there were, we found out there was ways to mod the Xbox. First it was mod chips and then later there were ways to soft mod it. And all of a sudden you could blow on these other dashboards. Um, I think I had an executor mod chip and, uh, suddenly you could hack your Xbox and 
put all these emulators and everything on it. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I want. Uh, now the original Xbox was like 700, uh, megahertz, maybe 733 megahertz processor. And I think it had a 10 gig hard drive, which was 10 gig hard drive is not very big. Uh, especially when you start saying, I want every PlayStation game or I want every, you know, whatever. I mean, if you want every Atari, Nintendo, Super Nintendo, you're okay for a while. Uh, but when you start, you know, getting the bigger stuff, it's going to fill up pretty fast. But then there was ways to um, upgrade the hard drive. But anyway, the the point of this is that um, the Xbox, the original Xbox, if you hacked it, that created, I mean, that fixed the problem. It was something that, that sat in your living room that didn't look like a computer. You know, it looked like a piece of uh, stereo equipment. It was a little black box. Well, it was a big black box, if you remember. Um, and it hooked up to your TV quite easily. And you had controllers so you didn't have to have a keyboard um and you know so it felt like a video game system but you could play super mario brothers on it again which is all i wanted you know in life was <laughs> uh and it and it played mame you know now uh so so this was a good solution now there have been a few other things now last year this uh console came out of nowhere called the uh, I've been calling this the Wii the whole time apparently it's the Ouya it's O U Y A uh it's a $100 console and basically it's just a little tiny box that runs android you can uh download emulators for it it comes with wireless controllers and uh but again the the key is it goes in your living room it's got hdmi you plug this thing in you could get emulators for it and play i'm like that's brilliant i love that you know so i was on the verge of ordering one of these things and then that's when i found out about the raspberry pi a raspberry pi did an episode about that as well raspberry pi is a um depending on the model 25 dollar or 35 dollar uh tiny machine uh, I mean, it's the, the card is the, you know, maybe the size of a deck of cards or whatever. And, uh, you can run emulators on it. You can download, I downloaded, um, a couple of different builds. I did retro pie and I've done pie mame. And these are builds that have, uh, uh, Linux distros that somebody has already configured all the emulators on. Uh, and they've done 99% of the work and, and the retro, uh, or the raspberry Pi has USB ports. So you can plug in a USB gamepad, and all of a sudden you're playing away. And I'm like, this is a brilliant idea. You put this thing in your living room. I mean, hide it behind your TV or whatever. Uh, you know, get a couple controllers, plug this thing in and you're up and running. The problem with it is it's not powerful enough to run all the emulators that I want to run. The, uh, I think RetroPie comes with things like the uh, PlayStation emulator, but man, that stuff's wishful thinking. I mean, uh, you know, and, and a lot of the arcade games, even uh, like speaking of uh, arcade games, like I play uh, Donkey Kong and Galaga. Those are pretty much my two. Like when I fire up an emulator, I'm like, oh, let's play some Donkey Kong. You know, it's like that and, and Galaga. Those are my go-tos. And... Uh, they don't look right on the Raspberry Pi. I mean, it's running an old version of MAME, and uh, the the sound's not quite right on Donkey Kong, and, and not all the graphics are there on Galaga, and it's just not it's not accurate. And uh, so I'm like, if I'm going to put something in my living room, uh, you know, I, I, I guess be, through going through these different levels, uh, I started kind of making a wish list. 
So the first thing on my wish list um, was that everything can be run or controlled using a controller. I didn't want to have a keyboard in there. And you will have a keyboard. If you do this, if you set something up like what I've set up, you will have a keyboard. You will have a mouse. Um, uh, I actually do a lot of uh, VNC uh, where you can like remote into machine. So I have VNC set up on my little emulator box, but, uh, uh, you know, there's times where you're going to have to hit a key or you're going to have to do things. So having a, a keyboard like that, that was a must. Um, I guess I could talk about the way that I solve these things. Um, I, well, first of all, let's talk about the computer. I knew that I needed a computer. I wanted something small. Uh, there are lots of uh, Dell computers, and they call them uh, like a slim form machine. They're a smaller footprint. And I found one on Craigslist for 100 bucks. Uh, the one I bought, I think, has a 120-gig hard drive. I'll probably upgrade that at some point. But, uh, it, you know, it has a hard drive. It has uh, either four or eight uh, gigs of RAM. It's enough. You know, it's running XP. That's all I really needed. Uh, and so I took the machine, uh, I reloaded it with XP, and then that was it. Uh, so that that was $100. Um, the next thing that I, I knew that I wanted was wireless controllers. And so I wanted uh, some sort of game pad. And I did a little research. I didn't do enough research. Uh, and I came up with... Xbox 360 wireless controllers. So I bought two of those. Now they sell USB adapters that will plug into a PC and allow you to uh, connect Xbox 360 wireless controllers to your PC. So that's what I did. Um, I don't remember at the time when I bought these. I may have paid as much for this as I did for the computer. <laughs> I mean, ballpark, it's probably the same, uh, similar price. Now, Here's the problem with these particular controllers. The D-pad on them is not great. I mean, it's okay, but it's like mounted at an angle or whatever, and so it makes it really hard if you're playing games like um, my wife complains about Tetris, that when she pulls down, it goes down and to the right or something like that. Um, and it's not the controller. It's the way that it's mounted in the controller. You just have to get used to it. So a lot of people don't like the Xbox 360 wireless controllers when it comes to, or not, not wireless is not part of it, the Xbox 360 controllers. When it comes to playing uh, older four-way games, we had this problem with MAME cabinets. And the problem with MAME cabinets is if you build a machine that will play any game, then it's not accurate for any of them. In other words, okay, let's say you want to play Miss Pac-Man. Well, Miss Pac-Man only needs a four-way controller. Well, let's say you want to get a machine that plays Miss Pac-Man and plays Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat needs an eight-way controller with, uh, depending on your version, five or six buttons. So now you need a machine that plays four-way joystick game with no buttons and eight-way joystick game with six buttons. And let's say you also want to play Neo Geo games, which needs four buttons, but they're in a different arrangement than the three buttons, the the six button layout for Mortal Kombat. So do you, how do you do the buttons? And oh, also I want to play Tron, which has a joystick, a trigger, a spinner, <laughs> you know, so you end up making these sacrifices. You say, this kind of joystick is good enough. These kind of buttons are good enough where I can play these games. Maybe it's not 100% accurate, but 
it's accurate enough that I'm able to play the game. So that's that was my thought with going with the 360 controllers. They have enough buttons that I can set up the buttons uh, to play. You know, any classic game it has the four button layout for um, Super Nintendo. If you use the top three buttons that kind of arc on the circle, it's similar to the Sega Genesis. So that was my way of thinking uh, of why I bought the the 360 controllers. The next thing I knew that I was going to need is a keyboard and mouse because while you're configuring these things up, uh, you know, you may need to press enter on something until you get everything configured or whatever. And I happen to be in Big Lots and Big Lots has these combos. They were on sale when I bought it for $14.95, a wireless keyboard and a wireless mouse. Now, I will tell you, these things feel like junk. I mean, I have shoes that weigh more than this keyboard and mouse combo, but they work. Uh, they come with a little USB dongle. You plug it in, uh, and you put batteries in the keyboard, batteries in the mouse, and they work. You know, they will get you through doing what. So I actually have them like, uh, I think the mouse is in the little center console of our couch and the keyboard's over on a shelf. So if an emulator gets stuck or whatever, and I don't feel like remoting into the machine, uh, with, uh, VNC or whatever, then, um, you know, you can grab the keyboard and do something like that. So it's more, I, I wanted the whole system to be able to run without a keyboard and mouse because I don't want it to feel like a PC. But, uh, you know, there are times when, when you're going to need that to bail yourself out. So anyway, I got those wireless uh, keyboard and mice or mouse from uh, Big Lots. I also knew that uh, I was going to need to connect this thing to the network if I was going to remote into it, copy files to it, or copy things off or reconfigure it or whatever. And we just happened to be at a garage sale, and we found a uh, – uh, I mean, it's a BG wireless adapter, and it was a buck. So I paid a dollar for the wireless. It's a USB NIC, and it's plugged into the back, and it, and it works just fine. So assuming you are familiar with computers <laughs> – when you boot up uh, Windows XP, which is what this machine is running, when you boot up Windows XP, it boots up into Windows XP. Uh, it, may, it asks you to log in, your username and password, and then it's going to come up with the start menu and icons and stuff. We don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want this to look like a computer. I want this to look like a console. So you're going to need a front end. Now, I will tell you, front ends... Uh, for main cabinets and uh, I mean, ideally what a front end is designed to do is to make it where you don't need a keyboard and mouse. A front end uh, sits on top. So you you launch your front end and then you can pick whatever games you want using the joystick and button. So normally on a main machine, you would have the computer boot directly into the front end. Uh, and then it comes up with, you know, basically some sort of menu system. I have found over the years that front ends are a lot like opinions and buttholes. <laughs> that everybody has one and nobody likes anybody else's. And so uh, with the uh, the one that I found that I really liked was Maximus Arcade. And the, the reason why I liked it is because it's really easy to get up and running. And I know there's several other ones. Uh, I have several people tell me that they like Hyperspin. I actually tried to write one and it just wasn't worth the effort um, uh, because there's so many good ones that are out there, but, uh, Maximus Arcade is the one that I got. And I downloaded it. I used it for a while and I really liked it. And then I went and registered it. Um, I don't even remember what I paid. I think it was like 20 or $30 or something, but, um, but it has a lot of cool features. Like when it launches, uh, it will play an AVI. So I downloaded some 
uh, a little AVI that says, you know, Maximus Arcade, and it has uh, lightning strikes and stuff on it. And you could even set it to random, play random videos if you wanted. Uh, so there are registry hacks for Windows, different versions of Windows that will allow you to bypass the, the login. You could go put the username and password in the registry, which I did on that machine. So when I turn this machine on, uh, it comes up with the old, you know, booting XP and you see the thing going across the bottom and then it comes up and you can see the computer for just a second and then it boots into the front end and it's ready to go. So other than pressing power on the front of the machine, you don't need to do anything, nothing with the keyboard, nothing with the mouse, anything. Uh, it boots up into Maximus Arcade. Then you have your emulators and uh, Maximus Arcade supports lots of different emulators. It's actually... Some front ends, you can have one of two things. You can have uh, simple to set up or you can have flexibility. Uh, and, and everything is, is a give or take in those, those things. So I found Maximus Arcade was more towards the side of usability. It says if you want you know, a Nintendo emulator, you need to pick one of these three. This is what I support. Well, there are a lot more Nintendo emulators than these three, but they all work and they're all easy to set up and they're compatible with this. So... Um, so I started, uh, copying emulators over to the PC and copying my ROMs and things like that. Uh, one thing I like about, uh, Maximus and most front ends have this is you can create different game lists. Now this is important because let's take, uh, MAME for example. I don't know what the MAME game list is up to 7,000, 8,000 arcade games, something like that. Maybe more than that now. Uh, so let's say you, you boot your thing up and then you say, I want to play MAME and you press the button on your controller and it's going to start off. My list starts off with a bunch of games that are like in Japanese or Chinese and I don't even know what they are. And you scroll and you scroll and you scroll and then you get down to the A's and you're like, man, it's going to take me a while to get down to Galaga and you scroll and you scroll and, and you know, then you get to the B's and the C's. Well, one thing you could do is you could create sub lists of your games. You could do this in MAME. You could do this in, in some emulator support it, but this is directly built into the front end. Uh, like I have a list of my favorite games. And so I can flip over to my favorite games. And then there's a list of 10 arcade games, uh, just ones that I've marked as my favorites. So there's Galaga, there's Donkey Kong, there's, you know, um, 720. All my favorite games are right there, so I can go to a much shorter list and just pick games from that. Uh, and you can easily add or remove games from your favorite list. So uh, that's something that's really convenient. Um, I had to download all these emulators, uh, everything that I wanted on my machine. So, you know, I got MAME first, and then let's say I got... Um, uh, an Atari 2600 emulator and then an NES emulator. I was like, okay, this is cool, you know? So then I launched MAME and it doesn't recognize my controllers. So then I have to go into MAME and you have to tell it, hey, what is up? Okay, up is this button. What is down? It's this button. What's this button? This is start. This is this. This is that. Actually, I, I found out somebody had already done this for MAME. They'd made a, a joystick map for Xbox 360 controllers. And so I just downloaded that and imported it. And so that worked. But so finally I got MAME up and running and two players, both controllers work. So, uh, me and my son, you know, um, loaded up, uh, two player games and we start playing. We play double dragon. He's player two. I'm player one, you know? And, and so we go through, we're like, this really works. This is awesome. And I'm like, hey, let's try the Atari one. 
So then we uh, get out of MAME and we and we load the Atari emulator and there's a game and we try to start it and the joysticks don't work. So what I didn't realize at the time was that obviously the front end is the thing that boots you into you know it's launching the different games and things like that and that's 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 great and it's very helpful. But ultimately, you're running all these different programs. Every emulator is a different program, and you're going to have to go in and configure the joystick controllers for every single game. I mean, for every emulator, you know. So I just set up the Super Nintendo one. And actually, what I did was I uh, – on my computer, I remoted in to, uh, um, you know, my uh, little emulation PC. By the way, I named my – I always come up with uh, names for my computers, you know. And um, – when I loaded this one originally, my emulator PC, I named it Chess because I was like, oh, you know, it plays games or whatever and all this. And then it just never stuck. It didn't feel very, you know, good or whatever. I mean, it just didn't have any personality. And so I was trying to think of like something that plays games. And I was like, what is the ultimate thing that played games? It was the Whopper. The Whopper from War Games that played all the different games. Shall we play a game, you know? And so – uh I renamed the computer Whopper, and now when it boots up on the background, I found a, uh, a wallpaper for Windows that is the Whopper. It has all the lights and all the things, and it says Whopper. And so the machine boots up, and then it says, shall we play a game? And then it launches Maximus Arcade, you know, so I'm much much happier with that. Um, so anyway, uh, uh, on the Whopper, you know, now I'm having to go through – what I did was I remoted into the Whopper. So I've got that open on one window, and on the other window, I go to Google and I look up a picture of an original Super Nintendo joystick or gamepad. And so then I'm remoted into the Whopper, and I go into the Super Nintendo, I think it's ZSNES, I go into that emulator. And so on, then I look over the controller, I'm like, okay, that's the A, that's where the A button is, that's where the B button is. And then I go over onto the emulator, and it's like, what button is A? And I press it, what button is B? And I press it, you know, and this is start, and this is select, and this is your shoulder buttons, and so on and so forth. And so you set up the Xbox 360 controller, uh, all the buttons are in the same place on the Super Nintendo one. Then I had to go do it uh, again with the Sega Genesis. Then I had to go do it again with the NES. Then I had to go do it again with the Atari 2600. So you have to set all these emulators up because they're all separate programs. So there is a lot of overhead in setting this stuff up so that when your friends come over and you're like, hey, let's play Galaga. Hey, let's play, oh, you remember this game on the on the Commodore 64? Let me fire it up. You know, it's seamless when people come over, but it takes, there's a lot of, uh, front end, you know, setup work uh, to configure all these different things. Now, like I said, uh, it's not going to be the control pads are not 100% accurate. You didn't play the Atari 2600 with a gamepad. You played it with a joystick with one red button, you know, so it doesn't feel exactly right. But uh, again, we're back to that argument of, do you want, uh, you know, the real thing, the physical thing, or do you want, um, you know, to be able to play all these different game systems all on one computer? Now I will tell you at my last house, I had a game room upstairs. I had shelves set up. I had over 20 different consoles all hooked up everything. Actually, I think I had almost 30 because, um, uh, I had maxed out. I had a eight port 
uh, video switch box. And at all eight ports, I had four-way boxes plugged in. So if I wanted to play Nintendo, I pressed number one on the first switch box and one on the Pelican, which was a, an eight port. If I wanted to play, you know, Nintendo 64, it was three on the third box and four on the Pelican. You know, so it was this matrix. Plus I had, uh, you know, a daisy chain of, uh, Power strips were all these things. I and every night I went to bed, I'm like, I can't believe I have not burned down this house, <laughs> and I can't believe that my electric bill is not a thousand dollars a month because I had all this crap uh, wired up, uh, hooked up to where I could go upstairs. I mean, I could go up at three in the morning, like, oh my gosh, you know what? I really wish I could play Excite Bike on the original Nintendo, and I could go upstairs, punch the right sequence of buttons, fire it up, and I could play Excite Bike. You know. Um, but that room was always 80 degrees because I had all this stuff plugged in. Even when it wasn't turned on, it generated heat, you know, and it took up a lot of physical space. And plus, you know, all these controllers for all these different systems were wired. So you had to, I had a big TV actually for a while. I had um, my projector hooked up upstairs. So I had a, a 10 foot screen, you know, this giant, you know, three fourths of a wall. And then you had to sit six feet away, you know, with the Nintendo controllers or whatever. So, um, being able to put all these on one PC, you know, with some wireless controllers, there's something to be said for it. Um, so the controls aren't 100% accurate, you know, when you're playing with the gamepad or whatever. But like I said, it, it's all a trade-off. So uh, so basically, that's where we are right now um, downstairs. Um, I bought a little entertainment. Um, we We just got a new flat screen TV, and it's hung on the wall. And, uh, the, uh, it, the new TV only has HDMI inputs. Uh, well, it has one uh, component, I guess, uh, component composite component, I guess. Uh, but, uh, so this PC, this Dell that I have does not have HDMI out, but it has a DVI out. So I got a small DVA to HDMI adapter, uh, and plug that in. So I'm running that into the TV. So I've got my video set up. Everything's uh, fine with that. Uh, I can press the button, turn on the computer. It boots up into the, the Whopper screen uh, and then um, launches my Maximus Arcade. And then uh, you can pick the the emulator you want to play, MAME or, or Atari and Commodore and all these different things. And um, the front end that I'm using, and most front ends do this, you can, uh, you can uh, program in different joystick buttons. So if on the Xbox controller, if I hold down the left trigger and then start, it will close uh, the program. If you hold down the left trigger and the right, I believe is select button, it will shut down the PC. It runs a little batch file and, and shuts the PC down safely. So uh, Morgan, my daughter, who's nine, she hasn't really got into it too much yet, but Mason has really got into it. He's my uh, nemesis in the house when it comes to Donkey Kong high scores. He and I have been pushing each other of who can get the highest score in Donkey Kong. So... Uh, I think he's uh, closing in on the 100,000 range. I'm in like the 120,000 range, so I'm going to have to step my game up. But I uh, go down there, and he's playing Donkey Kong, you know, and he knows the controls. He's 12. He knows how to coin up things and shut down the machine and do all that. So uh, my wife, um, there's very few arcade games that she likes to play. But she does enjoy uh, Tetris, and she enjoys Gauntlet. And so she and I got to play some Gauntlet the other night. Uh, and she's been playing Tetris and, and showing the kids, you know, uh, how to play Tetris and things like that. So 
Uh, it's pretty fun. And like I said, it's, it's in the living room. So we can sit on the couch and if we're bored at night, we can fire up the machine, play some games. And, and when we're done, flip back over to the TV or whatever. Um, you're not, uh, the, the main cabinet idea, and I actually am working on, uh, a new main cabinet. I've got a 60 in one arcade cabinet right now, which is a, uh, it's a PCB that has 60 games on it, but you're limited to the games that are on there. There's not any flexibility. You can't add games to it or anything like that. And so I want to refinish that. I want to redo the wood and I want to make it look nice because it's an old beat up cabinet. Uh, and, and I'm going to upgrade, I'm going to pull that 60 in one board out and I'm going to put MAME in there. And there's something to be said about standing in front of a MAME cabinet and playing arcade games because you're standing, you know, and you've got the joystick and the buttons and stuff and that's fun, but I don't always want to do that. Sometimes I want to sit back on the couch with my Mike's hard lemonade (laughs) and my feet up and just play some Dane Galaga, you know, after getting home from work or whatever. So uh, I, I think, um, you know, it's, it's not for everybody putting a P not everybody can hide a PC. I mean, like I said, I've got this little entertainment thing and I can, I've squeezed this computer in there so you can't see it. It doesn't, you don't see a PC sitting there. Uh, and there are smaller form factor PCs you could look for. And, and maybe if you really only want to play old school stuff, maybe a Raspberry Pi or something like that might work out for you. But I just found it was for what I wanted to play. It was a little underpowered. Um, but um, anyway, uh, and I would like to hear if you have one of the Wii uh, game controllers or game systems. I would like to hear from you because um, I'm still considering putting one of those maybe in the the – bedroom or hooking up to the other TV or something because I I, I like that idea of a plug-and-play box. It's something that's 100 bucks. You plug it in, and, and it's good to go. Um, I, I'm a little concerned about the store back in. I just don't know enough about it. I don't know if, if they pull support from it. Are you still going to be able to put software on it or whatever? So if you have one of those, I'd like to hear from you uh, and hear what kind of emulators and things you've run on it. But uh, you know what? For right now, uh, I'm pretty happy with the setup I've got. I, I like uh, the ability, like I said, to go in there and sit down and, and play arcade games and and, uh, you know, for everybody has their own level of what they're willing to accept as far as accuracy, as far as, you know, control systems and things like that. But for me, this, uh, for right now, this, this meets my needs and, I, and I'm pretty happy with it. So I'll throw some pictures up of uh, the system as it looks right now in the house. And um, I guess with that, I'm going to wrap things up and uh, get back down to uh, playing some Donkey Kong. That wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of You Don't Know Flack, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodork. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack. That's all one word. Or leave me voicemail on the You Don't Know Flack podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF. You Don't Know Flack is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the You Don't Know Flack RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, check out my Commodore 64 theme podcast, Sprite Castle, at spritecastle.com, and Throwback Reviews at throwbackreviews.com. Both of these shows are also available at throwbacknetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of You Don't Know Flack.